0: This is Channel 253. In this episode of Interchangeable White Ladies.
1: Test scores don't always match the GPA, and it doesn't necessarily mean that the student's not capable. It just, it can it can mean many different things. Usually it's about access and family support and rigor in their education system from the very beginning of their life.
0: Channel 253 is a member-supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. Go to channel253.com slash membership to join. Thank you. One, two, two, interchangeable. White ladies. One, two, two, interchangeable. White ladies. Interchangeable. Interchangeable. Welcome to the Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast. I'm Hope. I'm Megan. Today's essential question should universities that adopt test optional practices due to COVID maintain these policies in the post COVID world? I know I've got my biases, but I'm actually a professional here. (laughs) We have a special guest with us today. We are joined
2: by Mallory Torgerson Pruitt, who has worked in higher ed for 10 plus years in a variety of positions and is currently the Associate Director of Transfer Admissions at Seattle University. She earned her MPA from Seattle U in 2013 and is also currently serving as a student focused representative on Seattle University's Staff Council. She has spent her career focusing on accessibility to higher education and working to change the review process for transfer applicants to focus on counseling, and advising. So welcome to the podcast, Mallory. We're really Thank excited you. to have you here. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. So before we jump into the conversation, is there anything that you want to add to your bio that might help frame the discussion for today?
1: <laughs> it's uh, it's actually really funny because I work mostly with transfer students, and this topic is mostly focused on students accessing a university for the first time um, straight out of high school typically um, and I, I would actually just add that while my area of focus is on transfer students I think what's unique about it is that transfer students don't typically need to submit test scores so mm-hmm. after magically disappearing from the university, from you know that they, they leave that uh, that process change from um, high school to college they, they go to a community college they go to another university, all of a sudden, we don't need their trans, their um, test scores. So um, I've always kind of wonder. been, <laughs> I've always been kind of an advocate for like, well, we do it all the time on the transfer side. I think we could probably get rid of these anyways. Um, and so <laughs> I wonder if that's possible. So um, I just wanted to add that while my focus is definitely on the transfer students, uh, I work a lot with our freshman team and um, part of the leadership team in our admissions office that worked on um, getting a test optional policy at CLU. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Would you
0: mind telling us a little bit about how you became interested in this work in the first place? How'd you get into admissions work? Uh,
1: Yeah. Well, I think uh, like most people in admissions, we look back at our own um, journey to higher education and how we, how we accessed um, higher ed. And I, I never thought of admissions work as something that I'd want to do. I always, I thought it was kind of salesy, kind of high pressure. Never really looked at it in in the way of, oh, it's actually the point of access for so many students. Um, They meet a counselor and then they realize that that counselor actually has their best interests in mind. Mm
0: -hmm. And it can
1: be a life-changing relationship that they build, even if they don't end up going to the institution that that the counselor is representing. Uh, So I actually... Uh, go back to my college search and kind of find a lot of meaning <laughs> in how I ended up in admissions. Uh, so Megan knows some of the story. I uh, I was a, a high achieving high school student, but I had very little direction in terms of where I wanted to go and, and what college would best suit my needs. Um, I came from a family where a lot of financial pressure was 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 part of the decision. So my parents were always like, you're going to a public school in Washington state. That was kind yeah. of my limitations. Uh, my mom went to WCU. My dad actually went to a private school. He went to UPS. Um, oh, yeah. But uh, I remember looking around and kind of thinking my only choices in my mind, I know there were more choices. My only choices in my, my mind were WCU, UW and Western.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so UW was too large for me. Uh, Western. My sister was still there and living in Bellingham. I really didn't want that. Um, Although I think it probably would have been a good fit for me. Um, And WSU, I had lots of friends going there. They offered me a scholarship. It seemed like a great idea, even though when I visited it, it was a terrible fit. Um, (laughs) So I lasted a whopping two weeks at WSU and it was a very traumatic, very life-changing event for me. Um, You know, Looking back, 18-year-old Mallory really um, learned a lot through that. So Um, I came back home and I, you know, begrudgingly enrolled in a community college and I thought, Oh, I'm going to be here for a quarter. I am too good for this community college. I don't belong here. I'm just going to do this to kind of like bide my time while I can, I can reapply to UW. And, uh, anyways, I ended up staying there for two years. It was a life-changing experience, probably, um, just probably one of the best experiences of my life in terms of changing my outlook on a Mm -hmm. community college, working with a truly diverse, um, you know, student body. I I joined student government. Um, I was working with people that looked and lived a very different life than me. So, Mm -hmm. um, and then I transferred to UW Tacoma. So I did that transfer thing. And then I ended up Mm -hmm. working at Seattle U, um, worked in advising, uh, for several years in a different couple different roles, and then an opportunity came up um, in the transfer admissions team. And after talking to the dean and a couple people in similar positions, um, I was like, you know, I want to try this out. I think this would be really great. I love working with community colleges. I love working with students who have a varied um, educational experience. I think this could be really good for me. And that was about three and a half years ago. Hmm. And um, you know, it's been a good career trajectory for me, quite honestly, too. Like, I I like that there's kind of a ladder, but there's also uh, a lot of opportunity to make big changes in students' life through admissions. So
2: that's how I ended up there. So you mentioned, like, your attitude around community colleges Mm -hmm. changing. And do you still, like, How do you use that change and shift to work with now students that are coming from community colleges? Do you still see that stigma, both in the students that are asking to transfer as well as even in at Seattle University, right? Like in the staff at Seattle University?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I would say um, it's really interesting because some students love their community college experience, they've had an amazing mm. time. And then some students are like, get me out of here, I w- I'm ready for the university experience. Um, and, it, and it can be for a variety of reasons. Maybe they think they were like me, and they're like, I'm too good for this place. Um, or maybe they're, you know, just ready to try something new, a little bit bigger, uh, you know, different, uh, you know, engaging with different people, maybe they're with people from their community, because it's all community based. Um, mm. And so they're just ready to kind of that next step but absolutely. I see it from, um, I would say in the past, I would say I've been at Seattle U for almost for about 10 years. Um, and in the beginning there was definitely a big stigma on transfer students, not necessarily that they weren't worthy, but there was just less resources, more resources went to freshmen. Um, and you know, scholarships were super different for Mm -hmm. freshmen and for transfer students. And while they're still different, they're more similar than they've ever been. Um, and I would just say that there was kind of this, it, transfer students were kind of an afterthought. It was kind of like, oh, freshmen, oh, yeah, and transfers, that's not going to work for transfers. Oh, well, we'll figure it out. Um, so I think there's been quite an evolution over time um, that transfer students are really a, a noteworthy and um, um, and that they also bring a lot of diversity to our campus that right. otherwise wouldn't be you know, brought on by our freshman class um, mm-hmm. and that they bring experiences that you couldn't otherwise get from a, a student fresh out of high school. Um, so, you know, our veterans are the people that have gone into one field and then left it for another reason, or they've been trying to access higher ed for years and years and finally have the opportunity. So I would say that there's there's probably still a stigma, um, but I do think that Seattle U and many other institutions have, I, I think sadly it comes from, a potentially financial standpoint you know the only mm-hmm. way universities are going to survive is if they really mm-hmm. embrace the transfer movement well uh, yeah <laughs> students students transfer at such a high rate now it's it's not uncommon students don't just go to the university stick there for four years
2: yeah
1: uh, the students go for a year realize they don't like it they transfer families are really tied to running start or other types of programs and then mm-hmm. they stay to continue their uh finish their associate's degree so um I do think over time it has, the stigma has kind of, uh, you know, lessened, but it I think it still definitely lives there. It's, it can be an afterthought for sure.
0: Now, you, you mentioned a couple of similarities and differences between general admission or freshman student versus transfer ad, admissions. Can you speak a little bit more to what, what does the process look that's a bit different, um, especially for those people that might not be familiar with that process?
1: Yeah. So, and I, and it can look different at lots of different schools. So I'll just speak from CLUs, but I know that we are not completely unique in the way we do it. Um, but we have typically our freshmen typically enter uh, fall quarter. We're seeing some interesting things due to COVID for winter quarter, but um, typically they enter only fall quarter and um, we might have, you know, a handful enter winter or spring, but um, they apply for either early action, which is a November deadline or regular decision, which is a January deadline. Um, and they are admitted kind of in bunches during those timeframes. It's not really a rolling type of admission. Um, and, uh, they usually apply with several other schools, um, mm-hmm. you know, using a common app or something similar, um, and then they kind of make their decision around May is kind of the timeline, although there's been lots of rule changes. So now May is not quite as nationally important as it used to be. Um, and so for transfer students, transfer students come to us all over the place. While fall is still the most, you know, uh, popular choice of quarters, it's the most common choice to transfer during fall. We get lots of students in winter and several students in spring and um, students are coming from all over the place. They apply kind of when it works for them we do have deadlines but they're more flexible Um, they're trying to meet students where they're at and we definitely have rolling decisions meaning we kind of release decisions as we go so there's not this like hype to a decision drop it's kind of it it comes after your your um, application was reviewed so those are the big like review differences in terms of timeline Mm
0: -hmm.
1: yeah
2: so you mentioned um that you kind of moved to push or wanted to push Seattle University into this test optional spaces. And as a transfer admission um, person, like you've seen the benefits or maybe you've seen the impact of being test optional on the transfer student side and wanted to push Seattle University into a freshman Test optional, right? And so, from what I understand, Seattle University moved into this space even before COVID, right? So, there was this move to being test optional all around before COVID happened. And then now we're in this post COVID world, and all these universities are um, just now beginning their first kind of test optional. In like cycles, right, where they're having students on campus that applied with this test optional application. Um, can you talk a bit, a little bit more about that journey that Seattle University went through in order to get themselves to being test optional?
1: Yeah, so it's actually really interesting. When I joined the admissions office three four years ago, it was kind of a rumbling of. Uh, You know, we wanted to be test optional, especially the admissions counselors, people that review files, they're like, you see the inequity in in the review, right? Like, I always say that admissions, um, anyone that's reviewing a file, they aren't, we aren't making decisions willy-nilly. We have a set of guidelines that we're following that are um, put in place by the university leadership and academic leadership. So we can't just go like, this is a, you know, we can advocate for students for sure, but we can't go, oh, the student doesn't meet any of the requirements, but we're just going to let them in anyways, especially yeah. to, um, you know, more competitive majors. But there was always the rumbling of like, oh man, we have, like, I'll just use nursing. Our nursing program is the most um, competitive. And we would get applicants that were applying for freshmen, um, the freshman nursing cohort, and they would have a killer GPA, like just killer 4.0, 3.9, they volunteer, they fit every aspect of the application that we're looking for, but their test scores were just not mm-hmm. competitive. And um, you, you would definitely see trends geographically. It's not a surprise. I don't think to anyone probably in this room that test yeah. scores don't always um, match the GPA and it doesn't necessarily mean that the student's not capable. It just, it can, it can mean many different things. Mm-hmm. Usually it's about access and support family support and rigor in their education system from the very beginning of their life. I mean, we can go through a lot of different things. Um, and it's, it was so unfortunate to see those students not be able to be admitted or be admitted as a pre engineering or something like that, not directly to their cohort, um, based off of a test score. And we would see it in geographic pockets. Um, especially, you know, we get a lot of out of state applicants, um, for, um, For Seattle U, but we would definitely see it, you know, South Sound, which is where I'm from. Um, And, uh, you know, south of Seattle, and then also like the east side of the state, um, you know, high immigrant populations, um, just, you would just see the here's the private school kids and here's right. the kids with a lot yeah. of access and then here's everyone else and their test yeah. scores just don't typically align. Um, so it was definitely something that uh, the admissions office didn't like. And I would say our leadership didn't like either. We saw the inequities, but um, we couldn't just change the policy on our own. I didn't think it, a few years ago, I'm like, "Haha, that's a pipe dream. Like yeah. to, to mm-hmm. go test optional, we had heard it. It was definitely something, a wave that was coming, but it didn't feel like we were going to be part of that. It
0: felt like the hippies, I, like my outside yes, perceptions, like yes. hippie schools. Oh, that were like, yeah. We're so privileged that like we don't even need to. We just scores. get to choose if we yeah. want them. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, don't know why. Maybe I'm just thinking Southern California. But yes, I just well, and California perception. is a huge leader
1: in this, right? Like, right. um, and so we, yes, I, I would totally agree with that. Like, we kind of <laughs> felt like it, it totally fits our like social justice persona and like who we. Yeah who we are as a community mm-hmm. but like we will never get there because we are old school we have catholic roots
0: we are rules yeah. people you know oh, um yeah. the and, I feel like, catholic guilt man <laughs> yeah and like the pearson clause like the clause of the college board yes just that. is so inundated like we don't have the luxury exactly. i don't know it sounds terrible because i am people on, who've listened to the show before like understand that like we're anti you know a lot of this kind of testing mandated testing in particular um but it just feels like, yeah, their claws are so deep that there's no like, how are you going to it is part their, of the process, right? Like, yeah. Talking? Well, and yeah. That, it was
2: going to be a question of like how my follow up question was going to be about College Board and what role <laughs> has these te- have these testing institutions had in the decision of Seattle U or have they had any. Like, are, have they been a part of that decision-making process? Not really. I would say not really. I'm sure
1: that in conversations that I haven't had, like, I haven't been privileged to be part of. Thank you. (laughs) Um, I, I'm sure that there has been conversations about that, but I would say, so Seattle U, we, it was a long process. There was a committee. I was not part of the committee. I was just kind of a like, yeah, keep going um, yeah. person. And I would always bring up like, you know, transfer students don't really, unless they have less than a year of college work, we don't require test scores and our retention is fine. Our student yeah. success is fine with these students. We're not seeing lower graduation rates. Like, these students are great. Um, and some of them have never taken an SAT or some of them probably have and didn't do well. Like, mm-hmm. that's fine. Um, so there was a lot of conversation about that. And actually, our admissions director, um, his name is James Miller, he has worked at previous institutions that did go test optional. So he pulled in a bunch of people to come, um, kind of speak on behalf of, uh, going test optional and the benefits and the realities of it. Um, and then we also, I know I
0: love James. I forgot that you got, you worked with him, but James, if you're listening to this, (laughs) (laughs) we'll link actually to a couple (laughs) of the other episodes where he, um, recently was on nerd farm with, um, Kim Thomas talking. um, Oh, that's funny. I worked with Kim Thomas too. (laughs) Hey, small world. That's anyway really keep going so, so uh, this process <laughs> I would say this
1: is like this is James Miller's baby I've just mm-hmm. like kind of you know followed along and cheered along as as he goes um so yeah he's he's taken along a lot of the actual work of it um but he so anyways he he gathered a bunch of people that uh, that had worked at institutions or are part of institutions that are test optional to kind of really just talk about the nitty-gritty about what what's hard what's easy what makes sense what, what do you lose and what do you gain from going this way? So mm-hmm. trying to really get the reality of what it looks like out to this committee, which was, you know, faculty, administrators, it was a bunch of people across campus. Um, he also worked, um, well, not just James, but the committee worked with IR or institutional research. And what they found was that, um, and I, I hope that I'm quoting this correctly, but essentially what they found is that test scores didn't equate to like high test scores, good test scores didn't equate to better graduation rate, which is mm. our goal, right? Like we want students to leave the institution with a degree. Like mm-hmm. that is our yeah. goal when we admit a student, we want them to stay and get a degree. Um, and what they were finding is that it didn't equate to like a, any change in their their degree attainment, but it did. Um, g- strong test scores would typically impact their first quarter GPA, which it's Mm. like, cool, awesome. They might do better their first quarter, but if they retain and graduate, that's a really our goal. Like Mm -hmm. we can get them across that first quarter, their support services. If we know this, we can help them. We can build better. Um, You know, just having that knowledge means that you can do something with it. So um, the committee voted, I think, unanimously or in high support to move to test optional and this was years and years of working and finally the committee kind of were they were given a date to make a decision and they did they said go like we we want to do this so we announced I think in March <laughs> that we were going test optional and then everyone <laughs> also announced that they it's were going test optional, but it was like jumped on board, following you yeah <laughs> following <laughs> but we're like, but we're test optional forever. And like these people are saying they're test optional for like a year. Yeah. <laughs> so something kind of anecdotally too, is we would hear stories from students. This is, you know, not data driven, but just conversation driven with students, students with access were able to take the SAT or ACT, um, much more easily. I mean, obviously, you know, that it takes a car typically to get to the SAT. Yeah. take Um, some sort of travel. But what we were finding is that, um, and I I wish I would have looked up the stats for this, but there were a lot of closures for testing sites. So
0: um,
1: finding access to a testing site really kind of eliminated that opportunity for so many students. We would hear students driving six hours, going across state lines to take testing. And I'm like, uh, okay, so you eliminate how many students out of this process just by limiting it?
0: Yeah. we've had that same problem here. I actually was thinking two things. One, I was thinking about all the students who are able to get tutoring to take the SAT and then have the financial capacity to take it multiple times, right? Yes. So I was thinking about that inequity that kind of develops with that. But then also the, the canceling of tests. So I'm in an international school. We have tests canceled here all the time. Yes. And so students who will plan to take it, you know, um, yes, the luxury of taking it twice over the summer or once in the spring and once in the fall, but they can't take either. And so they're given one option instead. like, they're losing their Lines in addition to just ac- access to the test is yeah. really problematic yeah. here. Cause it's not like they can go across state lines. It's like, there's only limited there's number like of schools one place to well, go. in also, the country. Like
2: I think about with AP testing, what happened in the spring due to COVID is like college board set one time globally. Yeah. For the AP tests. And it's and it's one of those things where I think that we often think about this conversation as a very like a national issue and just in the United States without recognizing that students from all over the world international <laughs> <Yeah>. universities <laughs> in the United States. And what hope I mean, Nate's students were taking the AP gov exam at like yeah. three o'clock in the morning.
0: Yeah, 2 a.m. My kids took, my recipe AP lit one at like success, 10. There was a midnight test. There were 2 a.m. Yeah. tests. There was a 4 a.m. test for kids in Singapore. Yeah. I think that was the one that was at 2 a.m. here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, like that, recipe for like success. Success. A Great measure. <laughs> right. And the other part that pissed me off, side note, about that was the fact that like in the past you have form, like you have the normal test and then you have form B that was given in international context. They couldn't be bothered to create two versions of the test and give them at normal time zones. They just had to like do a quote quote unquote, had to do this blanket one. It just was well, so and weird. I think. will say, I oversee a lot of like our, I work with our registrar's
1: office and I oversee a lot of our like testing policy and our transfer credit policy. And we're like, oh, 2020 is going to be a doozy. Like <laughs> what do these even test scores even mean anymore? The next, because there's yeah. no norming. We don't know if this test was actually accurate. You know, there used to be at least some trust that there was a lot of like yeah. research done into the testing.
2: Oh, interesting, yeah. And
1: now you're kind of like, well, they made it in a month <laughs> and we don't know. <laughs> and these students were God. taking it at odd times virtually. Yeah. And then, you know, so, but with like SAT and ACT, I think of, I used to proctor the SAT. And I, I remember I used yeah. to joke, like, I'm proctoring it only because I like, I'm helping my friend who oversees this whole process. Yeah. Like, like I, 80 bucks or whatever it was. Yeah. Like I'll take days. this, you know, I'll take, take this hundred dollars <laughs> and like, buy some groceries. I don't know. And, um, but I remember like, it was such a pain in the neck to be a proctor. So I can totally see why people don't, why, why, um, testing centers were closing down. It is awful on the like proctoring side. So like you feel the student pain, but then you're also like, I'm barely getting paid to like do this test and like the amount of time and energy to get that whole testing. Yeah process done is just uh, you know monumental and so these testing centers were closing down including Seattle U we it was it's not you know organized by admissions or anyone it was just kind of people would take it on over time and you know the last lead proctor left the university and there goes our testing center cuz no one wanted to take it on because it is a lot of pressure
2: mm-hmm. it
1: is a lot of time and energy and you have to recruit people and if you don't have enough it's all on you and um, I remember our proctor, our lead proctor, she, um, she lived in an apartment building in Seattle, they had a like middle of the night fire alarm. And um, she got she was leaving her building going down the, uh, the um, stairs, and she slipped. <gasps> and she like had a black eye and she had, was bruised all over the place. And she showed up at like four in the morning to set up for the SAT because literally no one could do it except her. And I remember getting there. I was like, can we send you home? Like you shouldn't be here. And so I just like, I think personally I like remember that like trying to help her and being like, I can't believe that like, this is a testing. This is how we test in the U S like, this is just like an example. This isn't part of the high school curriculum. It could easily be part of the high school curriculum. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Like, if it was so important, it could be built in so that access, at least, could be there. No, we're having yeah. like yeah. these poor people getting paid very little holding these testing
2: sites. On, so, on that uplifting note, yeah, um, about college <laughs> Board and just this really wonderful world of testing. Let's take a break, um, and we'll come back and finish the finish up the conversation. Cool. Hi, friends.
0: This is Megan Holyoke. And Hope Take Bowling, host of the Channel 253 podcast, Interchangeable White Ladies.
2: Tacoma and Pierce County's restaurant scene just keeps getting better and better. Even in the crazy time of COVID, you can order in and support great local establishments every day of the month and never have to repeat yourself.
0: If you love to dine locally, then here's my challenge to you. Put your money where your mouth is and bank locally, too, with Pierce County's local choice, Tapco Credit Union.
2: And yes, that is the corniest segue I've ever said.
0: But it's true, though. I mean, you can also choose to keep your money locally, which is really exciting. TAPCO
2: is committed to serving Tacoma and Pierce County, just like Channel 253.
0: TAPCO offers services and programs that you need, such as home loans, auto loans, checking and savings, mobile banking, all with lower fees and better rates than the big guys. Plus, the
2: knowledge that you are keeping your money right here with a credit union that supports the community you live in.
0: To learn more about our local choice for money, visit tapco.cu.org. Many thanks from us at Channel 253 and Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast at TAPCO for all of your support.
2: So welcome back. Uh, Before we continue our conversation... Hope and I are excited to announce a collab with the Nerd Farmer podcast. We're both going to be reading and recording episodes on the book cast by Isabel Wilkerson. Tweet about the book with either hashtag NerdFarmReads or hashtag ReadLessBasic. So jumping back into this conversation, you mentioned and you kind of alluded to this intersection between test optional and equity work. Right. So there's this intersection. And and I think that we all kind of know that it's there. Um, But what kind of what overlap have you found in this work between moving towards being more test optional and really pushing that equity work that you said was kind of a part of what Seattle University does as well?
1: So it's actually funny. We've we've this is our first year really like promoting the test optional, like, Hey, you really don't have to submit a test score and it won't hurt your chances, but you can, if you're like real excited about your test scores, you studied real hard and you're super excited about it. You can, you can submit it. <laughs> um, and students are like, no, but really like, I, I need merit scholarships. So I have to submit them. Right. We're like, no, 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 no. Like we're, we're truly test optional. So I think right now part of the work is really alleviating some of the concern that, You really can apply test optional, like not submitting any test scores, and you will be fairly and equitably reviewed based off of what you submit. And so we've actually had a lot of students that like just don't believe us. Like, it's, it's too good to be true. They think it's only for this upcoming year. They're, you know, they're in their junior year or their yeah, junior year. And so they're like, oh, but when I apply, it's going to be different. We're like, no, 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 this is real. So I think part of the work right now is really getting students to understand that mm-hmm. they really can apply. And I think yeah. it's going to open some doors because I think it takes away a lot of that pressure of, okay, I have a good GPA. I've done everything right. But like your middle 50% of your test scores is just above what I have, or I don't feel real confident in my scores, or I don't even know how I'm going to take this test, especially as our juniors and our rising, you know, our rising juniors or rising seniors are thinking of like all the test centers that are closed or just their ability to get to a testing center now, or their safety of taking a test. Um, and so I think right now it's it's really about getting the word out. And I'm hoping that after we admit our first, because right now our first um, freshman class is getting reviewed by our mm-hmm. admissions counselors for admission. So I'm hoping that we can like show some statistics about like, hey, 85% I don't, I'm making up these stats. I don't know what it is right now, but <laughs> like, you know, 70% of our students applied without tests and here's their admission stats versus our test, you know, testing yeah, stats or something to kind of like show like, Hey, this is for real. And I, and I do think that, um, you know, a lot of our college counselors that we work with at high schools, I, they know that we're test optional, but I'm kind of curious if, um, it's really stuck with them because Hmm. when this was announced, it was just amid such a crazy moment in, in time. Um, and they're working with so many students applying to so many schools and I'm, I'm wondering if they think it's a, even though we've announced it several times and, and we work with them, is it really permanent or, you know, somewhat permanent? It's, we're, we've made this decision for all future years. We don't have an end date, you know? Um, so, part of that I think is, is getting through this first cohort and doing a lot more, like it sounds gross, but marketing about it Mm. to get students to really believe it. But what Mm -hmm. I think is really cool is I've talked to one of our counselors, um, his territory is south, um, like south of Seattle, like through Tacoma. And he's like, I've met with a few students who are just like blown away that we are test optional, like it, they're actually thinking about applying, and they would have never considered Seattle yeah. otherwise. Right. So, um, I
2: think I think one of the most interesting parts of when I was doing some research for this episode was I was reading about um, a university that moved to test optional. I forget it was somewhere in like the Rust Belt area, but what they saw was there was um, their applications have skyrocketed, and specifically in first generation students. Mm. So students who would be the first people in their families to attend college are all of a sudden applying at a significantly higher rate to university. And it's just, it's a really um, like interesting and fascinating thing to me of like, so I wonder how much of it is a psychological barrier for students when it comes to testing and, and not having to submit test scores. And that alleviates a lot of the pressure that comes with seeing themselves as college students. Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure.
1: I think that, I mean, I look back to taking the SAT and like I had, I went into it with so much privilege. You know, I came from a family with two parents that had bachelor's degrees. Mm
0: -hmm. Um,
1: I had a very supportive family life. I I didn't go to, I went to the same school as Megan. So, you know, didn't necessarily have the best access in in terms of, um, you know, test prep and um, access to AP
2: classes and things like that. but college prep in high school what's that what is that that? we didn't have we didn't have like post high school like counseling
1: no 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 no. you just just please leave
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, no I love I love
1: my high school but yeah it's it was it's a symptom of the greater problem of like the way we fund education and absolutely state country everywhere. Um, so (laughs) I, (laughs) I just look back and thinking of like taking the SAT and my mom had to drive me to Olympia because Mm. the date closer didn't work because of something. It might've been a family obligation or something. And so we had to go to Olympia and, you know, you had to wake up at like five in the morning to get down there. My mom had to drive me there, wait for several hours and then drive me home. And I just think about like Wow, I had so much privilege in being able to do that, and having a mom that understood that it was important to get there, and um, and she waited for me, and I I was secure in that. Took the time. (laughs) She had the time. She wasn't working on the weekend. You know, she wasn't working three jobs. Um, So I just, I I try to take that and think of like maybe I didn't go to the most privileged school, but I had so much privilege in being able to do that, and you just try to like multiply that effort for so many other students being able to do that and like it also kind of feels like a fake score like I I just took it knowing that I just needed to take it I didn't really I wasn't super concerned about my scores because Mm -hmm. the schools I was going to it wasn't a huge stressor but it's like I have Mm -hmm. to do this so I think I hope that alleviating that pressure, the, co- the financial cost, the cost yeah. of getting to a testing center and being prepared to take the test and understanding what the test is and why you're taking mm-hmm. it. I hope removing those barriers at least allows students to see more options. Um, you know, it's like, honestly, of course I want to see your applications at CLU go up, but right. I really want students to apply to schools that they're truly interested in to see if they have yeah. the opportunity, if it works for them, if it's a good fit. And if we removed that barrier for those students, how cool would it be for them to feel like they have more of a choice in where they go? Right. Yeah. yeah,
0: exactly. I have two questions kind of running in the back of my head, and I don't really know how to ask them, but I'll try. Um, one of the things I was thinking about is you were just talking about like the impact of, um, we just don't know because it's still kind of in that first year. And I'm wondering what are your thoughts on when things go back to quote unquote normal and schools either have to decide to continue to extend their, you know, test optional or they um, go back to how they did, how they had it before? I mean, what do you kind of anticipate around that? Do you think that's going to impact y'all's enrollment? in any way or admissions? I think, so Seattle U will stay
1: with test optional. We've made that decision, but I am so curious about all the schools that have decided to go temporarily test optional. I'm my, without really any insider knowledge of of what's going on on, with those schools is my assumption is that a lot of those schools are going to use this as a test case. Like Mm. how did this work? Can we do this? How would we implement this? Um, And I'm really curious too, I think I I don't have any answers. It's more of like curiosities. Mm -hmm. I'm really curious too, if like, if the college board is able to even offer enough tests to really support the schools that are test required, because we're going to go through this whole year of like very little testing slash hardly any testing going on. And then all of a sudden, we're supposed to like fill these rooms full of people to take tests for institutions that the prior year were not requiring tests. I just, I'm curious how that will play out. Mm-hmm. I, I have a feeling that a lot of schools are going to end up being test optional, at least for the next several years. I just, I can't see this light. Like, I feel like we look back at March and we're like, oh, we're going to go home for a couple weeks and then we'll come back and we'll figure it out. <laughs> and then like, that. you know, nine months Fools. later. We're all so dumb. <laughs> I know, I feel so stupid. Like, <laughs> shame on us. <laughs>
0: um
1: But I feel like, We're gonna we can't we're not gonna turn on this light switch next year where all of a sudden testing centers are are at capacity, Mm -hmm. that we are able to just like turn students through these tests that we used to. Because I think also, you know, colleges, universities, parents, students, teachers are gonna be like, Why? Why are Mm -hmm, we doing this? If we did this last year, much like I'm sure I mean I'm trying to equate it to like, I'm working from home right now and my job 90% of the time can be done at home just as easily as on campus, yes. right? And so I'm not going to go like, oh, I'm working from home full time. And then tomorrow I'm expected to be on campus five days a week without going, why? Yeah. <laughs> like, yep. So I think yeah. I kind of equate the student, staff, you know, college, university yeah. personnel going like, why are we doing this? I think, yeah. I hope that it poses a lot of question and a lot of pushback in terms of like, if the testing can be supportive of students, because I do think there are students that a test could probably be beneficial for them. Maybe they had struggles in their high school career, but they are very intelligent and they and they want to use that test as a way to prove that maybe their GPA isn't representative of their ability okay. or yeah, like, you know, or I don't know. They they didn't take the right math classes, but their aptitude in math is very strong and they want to show mm-hmm. that. So I mean, I guess <clears throat> I would hope that students that want to test, and there are some out there, I'm like, who are you?
2: <laughs> like, yeah. I'm who are like, you what and how you? are you?
1: <laughs> like if I was given this opportunity to like skip the S18 high school, I'd be like, perfect. 100%. <laughs>
2: but, but no, like now that you say that though. I Megan wants a test that. right now. Megan no, wants a well, test no. right now. She's <laughs> like, give think, me a test. I can think of students that I have. <laughs> yeah. Right. That are like, that, wait. That for whatever reason, usually it's attendance, right? Like usually their attendance is just abysmal. Yeah. Um, for whatever reasons. And, you know, it. there are many reasons why a student's attendance can be um, not to standard. <laughs> um, I had a student like this last year. But he had, he had the opportunity to sit down and like take the AP exam for Gov. He would have passed the AP exam in Gov, but did he show up to class? He did not. He did not show up to class and there were very different, there were reasons why that was happening and, um, but I just, I think that that's really interesting of using testing as an, um, a tool to demonstrate proficiency yeah. on Topics or subjects that maybe your grades don't reflect, right? Like yeah. using that as a tool.
0: I'm thinking about yeah. the um college board marketing that they have to do like five years from now where they're I don't um, know why I care so much about college board <laughs> things but I'm like in my mind, no, I'm like, I'm, what's your marketing plan, bro? Like have you only, adapted? Right, You're gonna be like the only come take a test with a us. This. Prove your aptitude. Failed <laughs> yeah. high school classes. Prove yourself. <laughs> like, are you bored, bored? would you t- like to sit for five hours and take this test? <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) We'll pay you. Oh,
2: (laughs) Right? Like, because they're just, it's a one, like, truly, it's a $1.1 billion market, right? Yeah. That is the annual income of College Board for all of these testing. And it's a $1.1 billion. What is it going to be this year? Like, it's going to be, there's going to be a huge hit this year and it'll be... We're fooling ourselves. We're kidding ourselves if we think that College Board is going to take this lying down. Yeah. Well, yeah. There is absolutely no way that College Board, and to be very, to be very clear, College Board stakeholders, right? So the people that are making money off of monetizing students' knowledge, right, and like monetizing students' um, like aptitude or proficiency in education. Like, I just, I can't, and this is just more like the doom and gloom politics side of me. That's like, I can't imagine them letting universities move to test optional. I can't, well, but they're going to diversify what they
1: do. Right. That's, so yes. it's yeah. like, I'm sure there's already examples of it, but they're not just going to go like, Oh, test scores are what we do. I feel like,
0: yeah, gonna, more I mean, curriculum. They do, Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. more curriculum, more new courses, more pre, pre, pre AP before the AP of the AP. Right, I'm picturing it's them true. like to me. It's like a, it's like Disney AP Plus. isn't going anywhere. Like right, yeah, yeah. They're gonna buy out some other didn't think like names. I did. So I'm thinking Plus. about like Disney Plus, right? So like, think about how Netflix competes with Amazon Prime, <laughs> and Disney Plus. Right? Like, I'm skeptic. sorry, I just totally <laughs> glazed over the Disney Plus for a second.
2: Oh my gosh, bear with me. Are you saying metaphor. that the College
1: Board is going to buy Disney Plus? Is that what <laughs> I just? Read? And then they're
0: just gonna like Maybe. integrate. Into Stream curriculum. <laughs> students don't even know I they're mean, taking the SAT maybe. anymore. They're just like, <laughs> <laughs> or they're gonna, like you said, they're diversified, so they're gonna buy something else. Maybe they'll run like an, yeah, who knows, PD or I mean, they already do a bunch of that stuff. Well, so my other question was a little bit kind of related to that, but more around um, the elitism that's part of testing. And so yeah. you said a few students were like, "How can you know? Are you sure? Are you sure it's not going to impact?" And I, you know, can hear some parents. That I can think of in the back of my mind saying, well, if that school doesn't have SAT, it must mean that they're not very elite and they're kind of mediocre. Oh, yeah. And so I'm curious, what's the conversation around that or your, your take on that?
1: That's a good question. <laughs> I don't know what my take <laughs> on that is, um, but I, I know it's real, right? Because uh, a lot of families want to make sure that their kids are going to a school that, like, We'll, I mean and part of it I, I, I hope to look on the positive side of it will challenge them will yeah. yeah. um, open yeah. doors to really um, you know unique opportunities to yeah. competitive uh, you know competitive markets mm-hmm. um, so I can see why you know families want to make sure that they're going to a school that um, is competitive and maybe elite you um, I guess, I don't, I don't know because test scores, you're right. I feel like there's been so much, like so much riding on a test score. And if you like come out with like a, a, a excellent test score, it's like, Oh, the doors open wide, wide for you. You know, you can go anywhere. And that's and, on
2: good college board marketing, by the way. Like, yeah. And yeah, right. Pop <laughs> yeah, culture, like all those conversations yeah. about test scores and Oh, the perfect score. And you got a 1600, like if we we can't be naive enough to think that that wasn't an intentional marketing ploy by college board like yeah sure yeah yeah it absolutely was yeah
1: so cool. I, I think you're right though that parents are a lot of parents and and definitely students who feel the pressure or they want to um they want to prove that wherever they're going as a really great like competitive school um I'm wondering if like over time, normalizing kind of like, it is competitive, but it's competitive on fit. It's competitive on your, um, you know, proving over time, over four years versus over one moment that this area is a good fit for you, that you are like your aptitude and your interests are a good match for this area of study. Mm -hmm. Um, it's kind of... I don't know if this is like an accurate comparison, but we get students who are very bright, but maybe they didn't take a high enough math or they didn't take physics or whatever it might be. And they can't get into their engineering program, but they can get into either what's our pre-engineering program or our pre-major program where they're not quite in that because we're direct entry. So students apply directly to their major at SU so that's a big deal to a lot of students and I I know that a lot of students like take kind of like a um an ego punch if they're not admitted directly to their engineering program mm-hmm. and it doesn't mean that they're not capable it could mean that their curriculum they just didn't take the right classes and right. that can be yep. for a variety of reasons it could have been them trying to avoid those classes it could have been um <laughs> you know a mismatch in advising or maybe they didn't realize they needed to take you know this chemistry class or whatever they had a choice and they didn't know that they should have made a different choice based off of their area of interest or maybe their mm. interest changed over time i don't know and so but i know that we're like no you're super you're a great student we'd love to have you you can change your major into this engineering program as long as you take these classes your first year and do well enough to get through them, you know? And, and I know that it is kind of a, it, it hurts the ego of those students sometimes, or they're disappointed for, I mean, I understand, like they wanted to get yeah. into a different program. I could see like potentially a similarity and going like, oh, I was admitted to the school and like, they don't really care about test scores. And I was really proud of my test score, or I feel yeah. like I was very capable of doing well in this test. And does that mean that I'm not going to be as challenged or... Yeah, you know, are people not going to look at this?
2: Or I spent hours in tutoring. Yes. Like, right. My parents, and it doesn't matter. My parents paid a significant amount of money to get me a tutor for the SAT. And now universities are saying that those don't matter. Matter. Yeah. Um,
0: But Uh, I think you're right. It's about culture shift, right? It's a mindset shift. It's a culture shift. And anytime that you try to shift a culture in a system, it takes time, one, and two, yeah, there's going to be pushback for it. I was reading an article about just some of the university, like some of the big name universities um, out there that are going test optional this year, and it made me think. As as you were answering, it made me think about if they hold the line, then that might change the bigger picture. Um, Yeah, just because of so much power, right? Cornell, Brown, Harvard, Yale. I mean, all the UCs. Obviously, California's in the way. Yeah, Yeah, I was going to say California. Yeah. Right. If they keep it, that's what's going to make the difference, I think. Well, that's what we
1: were. I remember a long time ago when we were talking about going test optional, we're like, OK, California is starting to go test optional. And if the whole state goes test optional, then I mean, they're such a major player in higher education, just the 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 number of students in their systems. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. we're going to be eaten alive <laughs> if we don't do this in terms of like Washington, if Washington just legs behind in this in general like we'll eventually get there if California goes test optional because we can't like if they can do it why can't we and students are going to ask that question and so I think it will be if if we see some of those larger schools or schools that you can kind of equate as like peer institutions mm-hmm. if if they kind of stick together in this or if we see that like a school that stays test optional maybe they lack some like diversity in their classes because they're only getting a certain type of student applying yeah. with their tests. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas other institutions are excelling in their diversity. I mean, if we see that, like, hopefully that would also, um, you know, I guess celebrate the test optional practice and maybe other institutions that were afraid of it or, um, weren't able to get their administrators to go that way, um, would be able to use that as like a test case to support test optional.
0: Yeah. Yeah, but then I was just thinking, if if this all works out, then we won't have any scandals where, like, parents were testing or people were (laughs) testing for their parents. No, you uh, imagine how much those
2: celebrity parents are kicking themselves I know. I mean, this should not have gone to college just a couple years later. I wouldn't have had to, like, go to jail. I wouldn't have had to pretend (laughs) my child was a rower. (laughs) That's, like, my favorite plot line. I'm like... Okay. Like oh my, like my, the favorite plotline of like
0: that they made their kids take pictures. Yeah, oh rolling. my gosh, so good, <laughs> unbelievable. So Well, bad. on that note, so bad. <laughs> if people want to get a hold of you, reach out whether it's Seattle U specific or yeah. something else that they're interested in. How can they do that?
1: Uh, you can find me um, on my email. I can give out my let's give out my Seattle U email because okay, it'll yeah. be about test scores or something. Um, <laughs> it's it's T O R G E R S M. At SeattleU.edu. Back in the day, SeattleU really liked to chop off the last names and the email addresses. They have changed course <laughs> since yours, then, but I'm yours, not lucky enough.
2: Right, Mallory, Corners, you didn't stand them. a chance back then. That's know, so sad. Um,
0: so <laughs> All right, right, we'll, we'll definitely
2: a- have that in the show notes. So if cool. you are wanting to get a hold of Mallory, just if you have further questions, if you're interested in SeattleU or just um, kind of having more conversation on this test optional, um, you can find her email in the show
0: notes for this episode. Perfect. Uh, quick champagne and real pain. Champagne for my
1: real friends. Real pain for my champ friends.
0: What hypothetical glass will actually, yeah, hypothetical glass to a real issue that you are raising um, some champagne out there. Do either of you have champagne to raise? Ooh. Um,
2: so i I, once again, I have just been loving following the court transcripts for, (laughs) uh, like, the court cases in this election cycle. So, specifically, Pennsylvania's. Um, I can't, oh, my gosh. I'm going to put the, he's an appellate attorney that has been, like, live tweeting these hearings that he joins the Zoom calls for. Because you can, as, like, the public can join. And they're hilarious. And, y'all, Rudy Giuliani is not okay. Like, (laughs) My sister, who is a lawyer, will text me and she's like, he doesn't know what he's doing. Like, he has no idea about just like basic court procedures. So <clears throat> that's my like champagne to all of the um, the lawyers that are like live tweeting it so that the rest of the world can see just the absolute ineptitude of Trump's lawyers, which Fantastic. is like, again.
1: Well, you know, when you have to dig to the bottom of the barrel, that's all that you have left. <laughs> oh, God.
0: Mallory Champagne, anybody doing good work out there you want to shout out? I'm trying to think of like a good one.
1: Uh, I w- I would just say mine is more local, a smaller scale. Yeah. It's just Champagne to all of the, I would say, admissions and high school counselors yep. that are just like working their tail off and getting yeah. their students ready to apply for their um for their mostly it's freshmen right now but um and all the admissions people reading thousands of files trying to make good decisions and supporting students in their their
0: academic journeys as someone who edits or gives feedback on a lot of admissions essays as an English teacher I feel for y'all yeah. I'm like how he do I make this all. less <laughs> right, so that you're reading it and you're like less bored out of your mind yes um uh, real pain, I'll f- do the flip side of what Megan suggested earlier, and real pain to all those lawyers who are, like, just trying to use it as an opportunity and so incompetent that they're mixing up state mm-hmm. initials. Yes, that's <laughs> happening, and I will oh, <laughs> link God. to that in the show notes. Either oh, of you got some real pain, some shade? Um, You're well, both treat- shaking your heads. <laughs> um, so oh, much to angry. choose from?
2: <laughs> um... Real pain to just the White House um, admitted, like the Trump administration in general, who have not held um, a White House briefing in months where the reporters are able to ask questions. So I think they held their first one in a month and a half and didn't allow any questions, um, all while during a pandemic where thousands of people are dying a day. I just... It is a very frustrating situation that the White House is absolutely refusing to answer the questions of the public. So um, boo to you.
1: (laughs) I would say also boo to the people that are like calling governors and mayors and different lawmakers that are trying to prevent the spread of this very real pandemic um, and are just kind of without the national guidance without national support of like hey these these are important things to do just the very basic things um just boo to all the people that are like gathering in huge groups and not wearing masks and just being bad community
0: members boo to you yes Second and third, that boo. <laughs> All right, final segment. Megan. Do your fudging homework.
1: Interchangeable. white right,
2: ladies. So this is a segment where we leave our listeners with some action items, some homework to do if you want to do some further learning. Um, we give you some some resources and options for that. So Hope and Mallory.
0: I'm just going to say go pick up a copy of Cast um, and read it and start tweeting it. Share with your friends. Post it on your Instagram. Whatever whatever you do, take your journal entries, um, etc. It's a great opportunity to read. And although it's a hard read, um, it's a really important read, um, even in the midst of all the crazy things that people are managing. And if you have some friends, maybe read it with some friends and do a Zoom happy hour chat about it informally. Um, there's lots of ways to make meaning of the work. Uh, and it's important to do. So get a copy and start reading.
2: Ditto. That's my homework as well. <laughs> yeah, I need to look this up now. So
0: I'll look <laughs> it up. I was like, I'm going to go do some homework. <laughs> I'm going
1: to go do some homework.
0: <laughs> Anything else our listeners should read or listen to or go do?
1: I've been really hooked on um, the Daily, the New York Times.
2: Hmm. Oh, so good.
1: It's yeah. so good. And it's so, like, I feel like it's digestible news in terms yeah. of, like, one, one topic. It's not always the most um, top of the page stuff anymore and so um it's just it's been a very good like oh yeah I forgot that this is an issue because everything else is so consumed by so many hot topics um but I just think they do a good job of like answering or asking thought-provoking questions and getting you to like really think about things but also explaining things in very easy to digest you know ways so Mm -hmm. there was a great one on the coronavirus and it like compared two different people working at the same bar and their experiences of um what it meant when they were laid off so and it was like a you know undocumented woman with um, a large family she was trying to support and a um you know white 30 year old man who made more in unemployment than he did in his actual job and just and and really kind of the downfalls of both sides of things so mm-hmm. it was very interesting yeah. so
0: mm, awesome yeah. well thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show thanks for having thanks, me Mallory okay all right bye, bye. Did you know Channel 253 is member-supported? I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I hope you will show your support by going to channel253.com slash membership and join. Thank you.
2: Thanks. That was a— Oh, my
1: lord. Speaking of falling downstairs, does anyone need a break? Yeah, seriously. Hey, there you go. That
2: would have been a good, horrible
0: segue. The Interchangeable White Ladies podcast is part of the Channel 253 network. Check out our other shows, Nerd Farmer. Citizen Tacoma, Crossing Division, Founders B Team, We Art Tacoma, and what say you? This is Channel
2: 253.